0: set up DE Editor's Chat. Today we are going to be talking about some of the latest trade shows that we went to and the news that we heard. So first, let's introduce each other again. Brian, welcome back. Would you mind introducing yourself again?
1: No problem. This is Brian Albright, Editorial Director at Digital Engineering. All right, thank you.
0: And I'm Kenneth Wong. I'm Senior Editor for DE 247 So I guess we'll start with... Um, Auditor's University. Um, Brian, you didn't go there, but I went there. It was hosted in um, New Orleans. Have you
1: ever been there? I used to go to New Orleans quite a bit. Uh, Always enjoyed my trips there. Hope you got a chance to enjoy some food while you were there. Indeed. Um, I tried
0: something I've never tried before, which is uh, crocodile meat uh, nuggets and (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if people will be disappointed if I say it tastes like chicken, only it's um a lot sweeter. Yeah. That's, uh, but that's kind what of it the, is. Uh,
1: the general idea around alligator and crocodile. Uh, that's what it does. And I've had it too. So yeah, it, that's a pretty good description of it. Uh, well, in addition to the uh, culinary delights, what else did you learn while you were at Autodesk, <laughs> Autodesk University? I learned a lot about clouds, that is, Autodesk clouds. Of course, Autodesk
0: has always had three industry segments. Um, the AEC, Architecture, Engineering, and Construction, and m which is Media and Entertainment, and the part that we focus on, Product Design and Manufacturing, of course. At AU, it turns out that Autodesk wants to launch industry-specific clouds. So that means Autodesk, Former is the name of the cloud dedicated to AEC. Autodesk Flow is the name of the cloud dedicated to media and entertainment. And Autodesk Fusion, already familiar with our readers, is the one for product design. I guess the idea is that um, Autodesk wants third-party developers to start developing things, ancillary products, things that will work um, to augment their own flagship titles using these cloud services. So what used to be known as Autodesk Forge is now going to be known as Autodesk Platform Services.
1: Did they provide uh, you know much idea of how this might cha- you know change things for some of the users in our space? Yeah, in, in terms of simulation,
0: I think we have already seen some examples that are going strong. For for example, Simulation Hub. Simulation Hub is this company that offers. Um, online browser accessible simulation applications. They're very specific. One of them would be simulating uh, uh, liquid flow inside a specific type, standard type of valves. Mm -hmm. So you just have to go onto it. You become a subscriber to this app and then you can simulate um, using this app. And that app is running on top of Auditor's uh, forge but now it'll be called auditus platform services so that gives us an idea about what kind of things they look forward to with these cloud
1: services I see all right there were there were some other cloud news uh also from some other uh, branches of our engineering and simulation software universe can you talk a little bit about that uh yes that's right uh, i think we heard
0: about uh, i think we heard about the launch of Answers gateway powered by AWS. Mm-hmm. So that is ANSYS applications that are now available to run with, run on top of, um, Amazon web, web services, Amazon's, uh, on-demand, uh, Elastic cloud. And in fact, that, that app, so to speak, that, that ANSYS gateway powered by AWS, the product itself is available on Amazon, um, Amazon Marketplace. So you just go there and you just go to Amazon Marketplace and you can find it there in the mm-hmm. catalog of products. And similarly, we also see Siemens doing something similar in November. SimCenter Cloud HPC is the same idea. And that's going to appear as part of the Siemens Accelerator as a Service Accelerator as a Service. So it's a play on the S-A-A-S finale. i are going to call it X-A-A-S because it's <laughs> <Right>. Accelerator. <laughs> <laughs> but it is running on AWS, AWS Cloud. So it seems like we're going to be seeing more and more simulation. What used to be running on workstations and on-premise servers and um, hardware that is essentially in an air-conditioned server room is cl- gradually moving towards that kind of public cloud, on-demand cloud services.
1: Mm. And it's also interesting, too, because, you know, AWS is obviously a a public cloud service and it's utilized across industries and platforms and in all sorts of markets for different applications. But there's been some definite targeted activity around the engineering space in these partnerships with specific software vendors. So that's been interesting to see as well yeah it it makes sense to me i think because um if you're running simulation
0: on a workstation or an on-premise um server there is a finite amount of computing that is available to you once you hit that limit your simulation job has to be trimmed down or you're going to have to put up with waiting for much longer days but with aws if you need more power you signed up for more core. So it it makes sense to me that um, this kind of simulation jobs, which we know are growing in size and complexity, is going towards using the cloud-hosted computing cores as the backbone of that job. Let's also talk about some of the trade shows, some of the news that came from the trade shows that you went to. Brian, which trade show did you go to recently?
1: Well, I didn't actually get to go to this one, but I was following very closely what happened at Form Next in Europe uh, just before Thanksgiving. Um, big additive show in Europe. Uh, we did have a presence there, but it wasn't me, unfortunately. Uh, that there was, you know, there were a lot of announcements, a lot of new hardware coming out, a lot of activity around the show. But one of the things that really struck me, uh, be- both before, during, and after the show, there were a ton of announcements about using simulation. For monitoring and improving additive manufacturing processes, so the sort of in situ monitoring or simulation uh, ahead of build prep, and also a lot of quality assurance tools. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go through a few of these because uh, there were just there were quite a few, and it's and you know we've been seeing these types of tools emerge before, but there were just a, a particular you know a lot of activity this year around that. Uh, we saw Hexagon uh, and Stratasys are working together. They've they've been working together in the in the past as well on this very thing uh where the hexagon manufacturing intelligence division uh, is using their simulation software with Stratusless materials in this case uh they they have a new announcement around using a pec materials in their are added manufacturing processes to you know simulate performance of the material and the actual uh you know building of the of a part with that material on their 3d printers um mark forged also announced that there were new simulation features in it's Iger software uh, which is it's um, uh, manages some of the slicing and print workflow uh, management for its hardware. And they also had a, an additional announcement around a uh, partnership with a company called Handle that does smart manufacturing uh, production cells, uh, which also leveraged the Iger software uh, to, uh, you know, provide a way to simulate and then, Uh, monitor manufacturing uh, using additive manufacturing Uh, we also saw uh, sigma additive uh, which makes quality assurance software had a partnership with dendrite Um, and and one of our editors picks of the week actually uh, back in uh, earlier in november was another am quality control product called am quality from am flow Um, and that's a series of products uh, that can sort of Monitor additive manufacturing and post-processing. Uh, and then SLM Solutions also announced a bunch of software partnerships uh, with Materialize, uh, which handles build prep, and with Octon, which is a 3D system subsidiary, um that also does some, you know, workflow management and planning on the additive side, and then SLM has its own quality uh, assurance software for additive as well. So it, it's been interesting to see the, you know, the real focus on uh, improving additive manufacturing quality, leveraging simulation and some of these other tools, uh, you know, in advance of actually of the build actually happening on the printer.
0: To me, it seems like it suggests the, um well, it suggests two things, I guess. It suggests one thing, it's that it's the maturity of the, the technology itself and the industry, um, and the other thing is that quality, consistency become more important as more and more people start to use it for mass production rather than prototyping. What are your thoughts on that when you look at all these um, announcements, Brian?
1: I think that that's true is, you know, it's even more important now that we're doing a lot of end use parts. the other interesting thing I saw, and I saw this when I was at the IMTS show in Chicago too, is that these tools can, you know, in turn that are being developed specific for additive or that are being augmented for additive can in turn be used uh, in better ways for other types of manufacturing processes like machining and like injection molding. You know, for instance, Octon, uh, which is primarily associated with 3d printing, uh, they also have, had a tool on display at IMTS where they're able to use their software to do automated programming of robotic welding cells. Uh, so and it was uh, that's a process that can take days, um, depending on the type of uh, part that's being made, and they've you know they got it down to just a few hours using their tool, and all of that's built on the work they were doing with 3D printing. So uh, I, I think it's a way that can enhance manufacturing across the board and and also something i think we're going to be we're going to be looking at in our in our january february issue next year 2023 when i went to au the
0: attendance was it was well attended and the uh, new orleans uh, convention center space was pretty much at full capacity the display area which is always the most uh the the show floor, which is always the most active area, uh, the reason people tend to go there is a bust with excitement and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, foot traffic. What was your experience uh, in some of the last, uh, the, the, this year, some of the shows that you went to? What's the atmosphere?
1: They've definitely been busy. Uh, you know, I went to Rapid um, in Chicago, and it was it was quite busy. And the same with IMTS in Chicago. And that was a show that only happens every other year. And of course they'd missed one because of COVID. So there was a lot of pinup interest in getting there. And there were probably IMTS 80 or 90,000 people, um, uh, you know, and they take up all of McCormick place, you know, both sides of it. Uh, so there, there was a lot of activity, um, a lot of excitement there. Uh, what our publisher, Tom Cooney told me the same was true at form next in Europe, uh, I'll, I'm, I'll be curious to see how that carries through in 2023, given some of the economic uh, circumstances that are affecting manufacturing. So we've got two competing, uh, you know, pulls. There's a high inflation and a lot of economic uncertainty on one side, but there's also all this pent up demand that built up during uh, uh, the pandemic uh, as well. So I, I, you know, I'm not sure how those two forces pulling against each other, you know, what that's going to mean moving into next year. That's right. It, it's a tug of
0: war, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. um, inflation pressures you to trim down your costs, but on the other hand, trailers are one of the way in which our industry generates a lot of revenue. So it's a tug of war uh, between those two opposing forces. Uh, but I have a feeling that um, in the during the pandemic, during the last two years, of course, we saw a lot of virtual shows and you and i both know you can only do so many of these before the zoom fatigue or the online show fatigue start to start to bite into you so there isn't there's there is a demand there's a yearning for people-to-people interaction it seems to me um -hmm. what are your thoughts going into next year
1: yeah, we're definitely we're definitely seeing that, um, and I think the more interesting thing to look at will be some of the software-focused shows where, uh, you know, the in-person interaction, at least in terms of of sales and demos and and end-user education, wasn't as important as you know with the hardware. You kind of need to be there and see it and look at it and touch it. Uh, you know, during the pan during the the height of the pandemic we're, the, the software companies in our space really d- didn't slow down at all. Um, they were able to uh, you know, grow and increase sales without those in-person interactions. Uh, so how uh, how enthusiastically people return to to those types of events in 2023 that that'll be kind of telling, I think. Right. That's true.
0: The first show that we will probably be covering and going to in person would be um, what used to be called SolidWorks World, but now called 3D Experience World. So uh, we look forward to bringing more news from this event.
1: Right. right. Now, uh, before we wrap up today, I know you had one more story uh, that I thought was very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the competition that uh, you were looking at?
0: Yeah, you forwarded it to me. You gave me the... Uh, the lead to it. So thank you very much for that. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting company called Make48. Make48 is a company that specializes in hosting 48-hour kind of design competition in its makerspace environment. So you already have access to their milling and 3D printer and 3D modeling software and that kind of things in the makerspace. And they are a partner of Onshape, one of the browser-hosted 3D CAD company that we closely follow, and this next this week, this week they have a event coming up, and that'll be uh, featuring competition teams from the Kansas State School for the Blind. So we're looking at different teams of visually um, impaired uh, students. Uh, joining forces and participating in solving some kind of design challenge. We don't know what the challenge is yet, but I have a feeling, of course, considering what the uh, school is all about, it probably has to do with overcoming kind of adversities, things that normally um, um, people like you and I might not think about that would prove challenging for students from this school.
1: Well, I'll be definitely interested to see what the results of that are and how they manage some of the accessibility issues with the design tools and the hardware. So uh, please keep us posted on that.
0: I'll definitely do. I have a feeling that this is our last um, last editor's chat episode for the year. So can I ask you, Brian, what's your plan for Christmas holiday season?
1: Uh, Well, so far, it will probably uh, just be trying to make sure I get my shopping done on time, Uh, which may (laughs) or may not happen. Um, And then we we usually do, uh, you know, a quiet Christmas at home, um, followed by some manic travel around to see family. So (laughs) that's how that's probably going to work this year. How about you, Kenneth?
0: I'll also, of course, uh, take some time off, uh, like most people do. And now that uh, Japan is reopen again for foreign travelers. I'll be going there and I'll be spending about a week or so in Tokyo and looking forward to practice the Japanese that I've been learning for the past two years or so during the pandemic.
1: All right. That sounds exciting. hey, you know, maybe depending on how the games go the next couple of days, maybe there'll be some World Cup celebrations in Japan. Who knows? Uh, Yes. When you get there.
0: Yes. (laughs) Good. Well, Brian, uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you and catch up. Thank you very much.
1: Same, Kenneth. Thank you.
0: All right. uh, Talk to you again next year. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Bye-bye.